All right. Well, let's have a word of prayer, and we will get started tonight looking at the subject of prayer. Our fathers, we come before you tonight. We come before you not because uh, we can come in our own righteousness, our own good works, but because of Christ. We thank you that that is so, that we have direct access to you because of the cross of Jesus Christ, that at the moment as he hung on that cross and you tore the opening of the, the temple or the opening of the tent into the most holy place of the tabernacle, that you allowed us to realize that now we have through Christ this privilege to talk to you in prayer. We would pray tonight as we consider this matter that it would not simply be something we look at and think, yes, we, we don't do it well, but help, help us, we pray, to think through it so that we will walk out of here more motivated to be people of prayer. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Okay. One, two things before I forget. Uh, two things before I forget. Sunday attendance around. It's funny because Pastor Ken asked me one time, he goes, so... How many people have in your class? I said, I don't know, you know, on average, maybe 12. But if we have them all here and they're all healthy, maybe 18. Then I'm looking at our attendance, and our attendance is horrible. And it's always my fault because I forget to pass it around. We got like four one week. And I said, you probably looked at our attendance and thinking I'm just totally lying to you because our attendance looks horrible. So please, let's pass it around, check it off. I finally remembered because, and before I forget, tonight is our last night. I just want to make sure uh-huh. everybody's, everybody's <laughs> oh yeah, right. Yeah, We're, just come on. It's just like totally buttering up the teacher. If you want an A in the class, you got it. Um, next week would normally be our last week, um, but if you notice in our book, it goes eleven lessons. The last one's called Action Plan, which isn't necessarily a lesson, but also besides the fact that my son is getting married this Saturday. My daughter is graduating from college, and she finishes next Wednesday down in South Carolina. So i got to go down and pick her up. And since she's done, you bring a daughter back from college. Uh, I am seeing if I can rent a semi. I might have to get a 24-foot, you know, you know that is. So we'll hopefully get it all back in one pile. So I won't be here. But I did check with the children's ministries, teen ministries, see if they could use you. Um, in case you wanted to come and just hang out, help with some stuff. And they said they don't have anything. But I'm sure that Bill and Tricia would love to have you help them prep the coffee and stuff and serve it and clean it up and whatever else, or just come and hang with folks and see what else goes on. As well as, you're more than welcome to hop in Pastor Ken's class next door, uh, Dr. Combs' class on Romans, the next door beyond that. Or some of you men, if you haven't gone to Men's Fraternity, you could always jump in and see what they do in there. Women, uh, you can go in there, but... um, you know, they might have you fill out this biblical thing of manhood, which I might not be very appropriate. I don't know. So, all right. So those are your options. So just don't forget next week. If you do come, it's all good. Um, I won't be here, and you can all can just hang out in here, or or minister, or whatever is best for you. All right. You know, having this last subject and these, I don't think that these subjects were put in this book in order of, well, there was a, there was a logical sequence to them, but to say the order of priority when we're doing the one another's, it's hard to say which one is most important because we could make a case for saying love one another is most important because Jesus saying that that's how we're going to be known as his disciples is by our love for one another. So there could be a case made for that. And the practical outworking of that, we could say maybe right up there with it, is praying for one another. Uh, Because I'll admit, 
uh, you know, here's true confession time, and maybe it's different for you. Um, I think two of the areas in the Christian life, and you tell me if it's different for you, I'd just be interested. Two of the areas in the Christian life that are easiest to feel guilty about because we don't do them well sometimes is number one, praying. Number two, sharing our faith. And that is, we can get busy and doing all this kind of stuff, and suddenly at the end of the day, we're no different than anybody else out there in the working world. We're doing our stuff, we're doing our commute, we're getting home, we're eating our dinner, we're watching our TV shows, we're going to bed, and prayer and sharing our faith just sometimes gets left in the dust. And then we have somebody preach on or teach on praying, and it's kind of like that twinge of guilt back there going, oh yeah, you know what? I, I, I'm doing a little bit better than now I lay me down to sleep, a bag of candy at my feet. If I die before I wake, you know, I die from stomachache, all right? Um, there could be something like that, all right? I think we're doing better than that, all right? But my point is saying this. Um, it is easy to talk about prayer and feel guilty, and yet who wants to have a relationship that's built on guilt? Um, God doesn't put in Scripture, and what we look at tonight is not motivating us to be guilty because, well, yes and no. Um, Understand, as we all would say, prayer is simply our side of communicating with God. And that is, the Word of God is His side of communicating with us. Prayer is our side. But understand, in any given relationship, if one side is cutting out the communication, there's only a monologue going on, and the other person is either not listening or they're just playing out doing something else. Um, and and, and I'll, I'll give you a case in point. This reminds me so I can turn the sound off. Um, it's, like, it's like these. We have come to believe that we need these. We somewhat can't live without these. But one of the things that used to bug the daylights out of me in China, and it still happens in America, but it was, it was bad in China at times in these houses, because I would have people visit the house churches and go, wow, the worship is great there. But things that they wouldn't see is... I mean, if somebody got a call or a text during church in the house church, they they respond to it. Or they get up and walk in the other room to take the phone call. I'm like, seriously? Disconnect. There can't be anybody out there more important to talk to or listen to than God right now. So take the thing and turn the data plan off or whatever you got to do, pull the SIM card out of it, shut it off, you know? But yet, how many times do we see this at coffee shops, restaurants, I mean, literally, you can sit at a restaurant and look and see three or four people at a table, and they're not talking, they're doing this, all right? And and we're all going, yeah, those crazy people. But sometimes we are those crazy people. And here's my point, is for us to effectively pray with God demands that we disconnect from everyone and everything else to do that. Um, That's why when I have a conversation with somebody at a restaurant or whatever, I always try to turn my phone over. I don't care what's going to pop up. If I can remember, I try to turn the sound off. And I've had important phone calls come that I should have gotten that I didn't know was coming through while I was meeting with somebody. But I think I'm there to give them attention. I'm there to communicate with them. But yet, I'm saying all that to say when it comes to prayer, that's really what it's all about. Um, If I'm going to communicate with God, that doesn't mean I have to go run to a church building to do that. It does mean i got to disconnect from everything else. Turn the radio off, turn the TV off, go in a room that's away from everything else so I can just be with me and God. Yes, Carolyn. Um, I think that's a good point. 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 Um,
does say to um, that God sees in secret that we should go into our rooms, close the door, and pray that God will open the door openly. Absolutely. And that's a great point. Why does Jesus say, I mean, this is, this is and thank you for bringing that up. Why does Jesus say, go into your closet, because when we talk about prayer clauses, why does he say, go into that room and shut your door? What's the point of that? Well, what do you think? What's that? Block out distraction. Yes. Because honestly, we need to close out everything else to be alone with God. We really do. Yes, Carol? I think it's the point where God will reward um, over you openly that his glory may be Absolutely. and not ours. That's right. And, and I would say you're exactly right. The context is more the issue of not doing it as Pastor had preached a while back to be seen by men doing these things for faulty and for um, self-serving, self-promoting reasons. But in the midst of it, he didn't just say do it in private. He said go in there and he says literally shut the door. Um, Not just go in a private room. That could have been enough. I mean, we could have gone in a room and nobody else would see me pray. But why does he say shut the door? And it seems in the context is he's trying to say just be alone with God. But Here's another issue, and I'm just throwing issues on the table because, honestly, we could look at a thousand verses tonight and we could read some good articles and do things on prayer, but at the end of the day, there's nothing worse than reading another good book on prayer, hearing another another good sermon on prayer, but we don't pray more. Uh, It's just like we're right back to square one. Um, It's even even down to with us in praying that so often we may not be... uh, we may not be Catholic. And I, how many of you are just curious? How many of you have Catholic in your background? I have no idea. Okay, two of you. Anybody else? Okay, the two of you. So, did you grow up doing Hail Marys and and the neck and the necklace, the beads? Either of you? Neither of you did. Okay. So, you grew up in a Catholic family, but not necessarily practicing Catholic in that sense. Is that correct? Am I missing something there? Well, let's see. John Paul was witness, Mormon, Catholic. Agnostic, atheist. What else was in our family? Okay, so you were. <laughs> there you was were, some Catholic background. You were smorgasbord. Family. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Well, and the reason I say this is because even for us, then the other day, there's so many dangers we can fall off on. The other one is saying the same things over and over to God. And think about that if you did that with a friend. If we talked about the same things, and every time I sat down with this friend, they just start talking about the same things. And most of what they talked about is what? Themselves. But I want to hang with them if all they talked about was themselves. But stop and think about our prayers, how often they can be repetitive and how often they can be about me, 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 me. Now, we're not like a child going, give me this, give me that, give me this, give me that. But if we look at some of the pattern of prayers in the Bible, Old Testament or New Testament, it starts with and focuses much on God and who God is and, and my thanks to Him, my praise to Him, that sort of thing. So, you know, when I think of praying, I'll just throw up here, I mean, you can think of a lot of reasons. So I'm throwing seven up here, reasons why we don't pray. And these can be varied. Um, these can be sometimes legit, sometimes not legit. Uh, we're not interested, which sounds like pagan. We sound like we're not interested. But to be honest with you, if I'm busy doing other things and I don't put it up there uh, and I'm not taking time for that, then we are saying to a degree we're not interested. And sometimes it's because our life is okay. I'm okay, you're okay, I don't pray. 
Um, it is that it is that um, that whole picture of I'm trying to think of the name of the song, but the song is talking about when the when the seas are calm and when there's a stormy seas. It's easy when the seas are calm to just kind of factor God out. When the stormy seas come, suddenly we're praying. We're like Jonah praying or whatever in the belly of the whale. But if we don't see a need for change, it's easy to not pray. It's easy to not even focus on it. We're too busy. And really, this is probably, of every list you could ever come up with, why we don't pray, this is probably always going to be number one, even though it's number two here. We're too busy. Or, so we think. I just pause with that because that is, even in ministry, um, it is very easy to do, 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 do. One of the dangers that I will always be concerned, as pastor will be concerned for Community Bible Church, is if we're busy doing, 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 then let's go back to the Ephesian church, Revelation chapter 2. They were doctrinally right on track. They were enduring temptations. They were busy. They were doing a lot of ministry stuff. But Jesus, what he said about them was, you've lost your first love. How do you lose your first love? You don't communicate. You lose that love by not communicating. So that had to be a part of it. So we're too busy. We lack concern for others. And that goes back to praying for my stuff, my needs, my problems, my whatever it may be. Um, Fourth one, our thinking is too narrow. Number four, number five are going to sometimes sound similar. We feel that God only cares about our big problems, so we think that, and, and this is where we get in trouble. I can handle this, I can handle this, I can handle this, and then when the big ones come, okay, God, now I run to you. But that's not really the mindset. The mindset is learning to say, I need you every hour, as the song goes that we've sung many, many times. I need thee every hour. We do for everything. Our problem is we think too narrowly, we run to God when things get bad. Or our thinking is too small, we think God can't handle this. Now I'll admit, when it comes to thinking that way, when it comes to our thinking with prayer, it's almost like when things are bigger problems in my life, it's easier to pray. Because I have concluded this, I know I can't do anything about it. The problem can be when I think I can do something about it, then it's easy to factor God out. Number six, we don't like to get involved to, or make commitments. So um, somebody says, here's my need. We may say, I, I'll pray for that. Um, I, I heard a guy once say, and this is a great way to put it, is I'll, I, I promise you I'll pray for that as it comes to my mind or I'm going to pray for that as soon as I walk away. Because here's what happens. How many times do we promise people we'll pray for something that we never ever pray for? Um, or we'll say we'll pray for them, or we see them later say, yeah, I'll be praying for you. But we keep saying that, but we never quite get around to it. And sometimes it's because, go back to number two, we're too busy, so we don't think about number six unless it involves us. Finally, number seven, we're afraid. We might be afraid of what God does if we pray. You know, it's the old... It's the old age old, don't pray for patience because what God may do to give you that patience. Um, so just understand, he's going to still do it anyhow, whether we want it or not. Um, and, and if we say, God, grow my faith, if we say, God, give me greater love for somebody, if we pray a lot of these things, God's going to do that. But getting from point A to point B 
is not going to be a straight line. I can tell you that right now. It works in geometry class. It doesn't work in Scripture. If I want to get from where I am to where I'm praying that God will take me, I guarantee it's going to go like this to get there. And quite often, it's going to go places I really don't want to go to get to that point. And, and that's part of our prayer, so we avoid it. Now, having blabbed for a few minutes and said some of these things, just, I mean, I'll confess a lot of things tonight, because I'll admit, it's easy, even in ministry, to get busy doing stuff and not praying. So, number two can be a problem. Too busy even doing ministry stuff, and suddenly you're not praying like you should. But what of these do you feel like are problems that you've seen, whether for yourself or in ministry, or in the church, or something that's not on this list, the reason why we don't pray? Your thoughts? Yes? Too distracted. Okay. I mean, and that's probably like a bunch of those combined. But you know, when you pray, and then all of a sudden you're, you know, I gave an illustration. I think in our uh, community groups on Sunday night, where you know, I'm praying, God, thank you for this food, all, and I'm all of a sudden I'm thinking about you know, chilies, chips, and salsa or something, you know, and I, I can't, you know, and then you know, I get back on track, and okay, thank you for this, and then all of a sudden I'm thinking of about that and so then it's almost discouraging to pray because you just, I just can't remain focused on okay, just talk to God, you know, and all of a sudden I'm floating out over here in space. That being said, alright, I want I wanna come I wanna kinda of take with this because I have really my goal tonight was not necessarily to go through everything in this book. My goal tonight was to try to be a little more practical because at the end of the day we don't need to learn more verses about praying and reasons why we should pray, because I think all of us could give a whole lot of reasons why I could give scriptures. Our problem is in, is why don't we pray? And how can we overcome distractedness? Because all of us wrestle with this. I mean, I can have a list of things to do, but I say, but I need to pray first before I do it. And what happens when I pray? I start thinking about that list of things i got to do. And, and suddenly my mind, I mean, I literally don't even know what I've just been saying to God in the last sentence, because my mind went right to that list. But can you think of ways we can overcome that? Because I'm watching from your facial response, yes, that's happened to you. Maybe that's happened to you a lot. Yes? One of the things that I do, because I know myself, I know if I tell somebody I'm going to pray for you, if, if I wait, the moment's gone and I can forget or, or whatever, and I just immediately right then, even while I'm talking with them, I'm praying. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm praying right then and there because I know later... Happen. You know, I may forget. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, what about like with what Troy just said about being distracted in prayer? Can you think of way or ways to overcome it, Beth? I think just like you said, you have a list of things to do. I found it helpful if you know, especially like your community group or you know, you're with a group. You know, people start saying, "Oh, I have this need or that need." Make note of these things, and when you're praying, you know, talk about talk to God about each one of these things on the list, and it helps me to stay focused on what I'm supposed to be talking to him about. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because, you know, it, just like we would make a list of things to do, and we talk about prayer lists, and obviously there are apps, there are ways to put on your phone, there are so many prayer apps out there, a lot of different things like that, um, and, and we need practical ways to help us do that so that we are thinking more about prayer isn't just locked into certain times at church or certain times in the morning and the rest of the day I talk to everybody and anybody but God. Um, certainly the whole point of prayer life is praying, pray without ceasing can't mean 
all you ever do all day is prayer, correct? All right. But what it has to be saying is, and and the word that's used there that's interesting that Paul used, and, and we can relate to this going into the winter season. All right, you get one of those colds where you get like this dry, hacky cough where you literally can't stop coughing, keeps coughing. Right, yeah, and Jenny, Jenny just went through that, so she knows. Where, I mean, you sit there, and I can remember just like breaking out in a sweat trying to keep myself from coughing sitting in a church service or something. Well, the word that Paul uses there, uh, pray without ceasing, is constantly recurring like a cough. Now, you don't cough 24-7, but it keeps happening. It keeps getting interspersed in my life throughout the course of the day. Uh, I don't cough without stopping what it's going through all my day. That's the point. It's constantly recurring. Which then goes back to this one right here. Our thinking is too narrow, so we're only coming to God when it's the time to pray or it's something big to pray about. But the whole point is this constantly recurring conversation with God throughout the day. It may be, as we're going to see in, in, the, in the book, if we ever get in the book, um, it may be some brief prayers because much of the prayers recorded in Scripture are not long prayers. They are brief prayers. Now, Jesus did pray all night. And, and just stop and think about this for a moment. Jesus prayed all night, but he did one thing. Well, he didn't have to do one thing that we always have to do when we pray. He never had to confess a sin. He didn't have to take time to confess, God, I failed with this, and I didn't do this, and I'm sorry I didn't do this, and I'm sorry about that attitude I had today, and, you know, I didn't, I didn't forgive that person. How do you spend all night in prayer with God and confession and sin and your own struggles are not even on the table? How do you do that? Well, you do that when you have a relationship with God that is so close that those things aren't as important and because that relationship is closer, those things aren't on the table as often. All right? Here's my point with the distract. This is where I was trying to go. I think we all wrestle with that and you know, a couple of things you can do. Part of it is in the prayer room is finding a place where you won't be distracted, and, and that means away from technology, away from books, away from everything. Or other things you can do, I mean, honestly, more often than not, I pray out loud. More often than not, I pray with my eyes open sometimes because it's like some of the, I mean, if it means looking out the window, if it means looking up at the ceiling, and it keeps me focused rather than I've got my head down because how many of us grew up going, you only pray with your head bowed and your eyes closed, right? And then when you're a kid, you look up and you see that lady in the choir who every week is looking around. And you're like, wow, she's a pagan. And she's in the choir. She's got her eyes open. I see her every week. you know. And then your parents ask you, how do you know? <laughs> yeah, and then you got to confess. You know, they, they know how you know because you were looking too. you know. But, but my point is this. Um, Jesus often, when he's praying, he prays up toward heaven. Interesting thing, if you ever look at an amazing prayer, an amazing prayer is one by uh, Solomon, 1 Kings 8. When Solomon starts the prayer at the dedication of the temple, he starts by with his hands up in the air. He starts standing like this on a podium. When you get to the end of the prayer, it doesn't tell us this happened during the prayer. But it says when he finished the prayer, he got up off of his knees. So at some point in the midst of that prayer, he went from a standing position to a kneeling position, and that's where that prayer ended, for the king over Israel. So at some point, that's the posture that it ended with. So whether it's on our knees, standing, and honestly for me, the best undistracted praying is outside somewhere walking 
where there's nothing that I can be distracted by. I and mean, I'll give you a weird for instance. So if you ever see me walking in this area, you know what I'm doing. I'm not like out there looking for trouble. You go down Enterprise Drive. You go down Southfield Road, Enterprise Drive that goes back where they think they were going to build, well, there's a Ford building back there. There's this other building. And I think they were going to build the big uh, theater or the movie studio or whatever. If you go back there, there are sidewalks along there that go down the railroad tracks and back. They go back and forth. It's a great place. It's a dead-end street. There's no stuff going on down there. There's occasionally there's these Ford cars ripping up and down there because they're testing them. But it's a place to walk and pray. Okay, so I'm just throwing that out there because we struggle with, all right, we're too busy. When we do do it, we're too distracted. And what can we do to become undistracted and focused on God and His Word? All right? So... Those are some things. Any other thoughts besides distracted? Anything else? All right, let's jump in. Yes, sir, Wes. I, I think that uh, with, um, in some instances, like when a, um, a need is presented, is really not knowing what to pray for them. <clears throat> like, um, bless him, Lord. I mean, that's, that's an extreme example, but I mean where we want to pray something specific for God to do to that person or for that person, but we, we honestly don't know. Mm-hmm. And, and, and honestly, I, I, this is why I love the the input. I mean, I, I, I don't mind rabbit trails, and there's no rabbit trails because these are good things, but these things that you're bringing up is all, all very helpful because when you're talking about that issue, when you're talking about how we, how we want to pray, how many times have we prayed or heard people pray or we've been that people or that person saying bless so-and-so or help so-and-so, all right? Now, is it inherently wrong to say bless so-and-so or help so-and-so? What what motivates us most to pray? Beside, Let's put aside praying for God's glory, praying for the relationship with God, but what motivates us to come back and keep praying? What's one of the things that motivates us? Or what the one another? What's that? Our love for one another? Here's where I'm getting at. I know that's kind of like a vague, vague thing. Really, one of the most motivating things when we pray is when we see God answer prayer, right? If we see God answer prayer, it's like, wow, I mean, I saw God answer. But here's the problem when we pray, help so-and-so and bless so-and-so. What in the world does that mean? How do we know if God answered that prayer if we just said bless so-and-so? How do we know if we say help so-and-so? That's why... What you're bringing up, Wes, is really important. We pray specifically so that when we look after the fact, we can say, that's what God did. Now, he didn't do it necessarily the way I expected it. And that's part of the neat part about prayer. God may do it, but he may do it in a way we don't expect. And that even gives us more confirmation sometimes that that was God, not because he answered it the way I wanted him to do. Glenn. I got a quick uh, a little one about like that type of uh, situation. Um, uh, this was probably a few months ago. There was a guy I had been kind of praying for him the, over the past. Um, he, has, he had cancer and some uh, issues, thyroid, they had uh, a bunch of different things that were going on. And uh, I had known about him and brought it up to my church that I had gone to before, and uh, we, we prayed a little bit. And then uh, it wasn't uh, a few months later, I saw him at a hardware store, and I was in there, and he comes walking in. Like, hey, how are you doing? Uh, Dennis, he goes, I'm doing okay, you know, I'm getting ready to... And uh, in the past, actually, uh, fairly often, I would pray that Lord opened my eyes to what 
you know, who are you going to bring into my path? You know, this is long before I meet this guy at the hardware store. Lord, direct my path. Lord, open my eyes. Work through me so that I can say the right thing, so I can pray the right prayer. Because I don't want to get in the way with what I have going on in my, you know, in my head. And then, anyway, I'll make the story short. And I get there, and he walks up and he says, hey, how are you doing? He goes, uh, tells me in the hardware, the lady working in the hardware store, um, it's going okay, doing all right. And I said, well, you know what, I'll, pr- I'll, I'll, I'll continue to pray for you. And he goes, that would be great. I would love to. And I just stood there for a second. And just like every one of us in here, do I pray now? I said, I'm going to pray for you right now. And he's like, what? You know, he's so shocked. I'm going to pray right now. And I said, here, take my hand. And I grabbed the ladies that's hard in the hardware store. <laughs> and the three of us held hands. And I said, Lord. And I knew that I had been praying for this guy a lot. And I knew that God was directing my path to this spot, I would say. And uh, I said the prayer. And I knew that, uh, you know, God was in it. And when I left, and he said, thanks. Well, and I said, no problem. I'll keep you lifted up in prayer as we go throughout the week. It wasn't four or five days later, uh, maybe a week later, because he had brought up he was going to have some tests. A week later, I see him. He pulls up. He's got the biggest smile on his face. And he, he drove out of his way to come over and drive. I'm throwing some junk in the garbage, you know. And he goes, Glenn, those prayers? Those prayers are answered. I can't believe it. You know, and he's not a Christian guy, and I've been witness to him in the past. And that was it. So what I'm saying is, that prayer... I could have went home, I could have said it under my breath, but what that prayer did is it showed me, and I know God works. It showed him, and it showed the lady at the store, and it showed all three of us, and we all probably gave, I definitely gave God the glory, and that guy gave God the glory on that day, so that's two. And then that lady, she finds out, she gives God the glory, so that's three people that are praising God that would only one person would have been. It would have been me if I didn't share that prayer on that day. See what I mean? So... God direct my path, open my eyes, continue to work through me. I know the footsteps of the righteous are guided by God, and the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. Absolutely. And, and part of the scriptures we're going to look at, we're going to look at two texts tonight. One of them that we're going to look at has a couple things in there that exactly what you just illustrated is exactly what these verses are talking about. And we're going to look at that. So let's move on, because that's a great illustration I want us to lose get into the scripture. So let's close to the grasping of the issue. There's a number of questions, but I highlighted one. Since prayer is meant to be one of the main com- commitments of a local church, what part do you play in making your church a praying church? And honestly, I'm going to give you one homework assignment, and it's not up here, because like I said, next week is, uh, this week is the last week of classes. This is, uh, if you want to do it, homework assignment. I encourage you to, I would love for you to do, and even if it's a sentence or two, it doesn't matter to me. And I'll give you my email, if you don't do email, then just write it on a piece of paper, give it to me next Sunday, Wednesday, whatever. Um, The simple homework is this, and that is, when it comes to us as a church, community, Bible, church, what can we be doing? Because if you did read this lesson or went through it a little bit, the focus was more on corporate prayer than it was on personal prayer. But if we are not personally praying, obviously then we're going to start misfiring as a church. So my question is very simple. What are some suggestions from your observation of being here for months or a year or years at community? What do you see that we might need to do differently to be more of a praying church? I mean, I've been here for six months, and I see things. I see things that need to be different. The question is how to do it. I mean, we can say let's start putting things on the calendar to pray, 
And, and if you read the case study, then we start guilting people into having a prayer time at 6 a.m. And they're like, I can't do 6 a.m. because I start work at 6 a.m. Okay, we'll do the prayer at 4.30. You know, we'll do it John, John uh, Wesley. They pray at 4 a.m. If you're going to be a great Christian, pray at 4 a.m. That's not going to work, all right? But I do want to know, really want to know, and I won't take time to do it tonight, but if you can tell me any suggestions you may have, hey, this is something I've been thinking about. How can we pray more as a church, um, practically speaking? Some suggestions maybe you bring from your previous church experience, um, things that you did. I would love to know that. That would be incredibly helpful. So that's where, obviously, we could say that we have a, a men's prayer breakfast. And, and this week, it's a men's breakfast. It doesn't say prayer breakfast, so there's not to say they won't pray. But I'll admit, how many times have I been to a prayer breakfast that ends up being more breakfast than prayer? All right? Sad to say, it does. It happens. All right? But we want to be a praying church. Now, there's one statement that we're going to look at very quickly under the sound bites there. If you're on page 11.1, you're probably wondering when in the world we're ever going to get there. Augustine said this. He said, pray as though everything depended upon, on God. Work as though everything depended on you. All right? Agree with that? Not agree with that? Does that resonate with you? You're like, okay, it doesn't make sense because he's an old theologian. Yes, Carolyn. It reminds me of the scripture, faith without works is dead. Pray with your faith in God, but work, work out that um, faith. Absolutely, absolutely. Because James was not going cross-theology with Paul. James wasn't. I mean, Martin Luther, of all guys, he's like, he called James an apostle. He called James an epistle of straw. In other words, he thought that the book of James shouldn't even be in the Bible because Martin Luther didn't quite get the gist of the book of James because he was fighting the the whole theology battles of justification by faith. But James is looking at living out our faith after we're a believer. Paul is looking at our faith before we're a believer. And that is, we come to God by faith. But if we come to God by faith after we are His. The evidence of our faith is works, and that working out is is through prayer. Any other thoughts? I mean, do you agree with Augustine? Or is like that doesn't even resonate? I don't even read that um, because essentially what he is saying is it's not an either or; it's a both and. All right? Agree? Disagree? Okay. Yes, ma'am. I think sometimes people go to extremes and, and then become mystical. Okay. <clears throat> where they they pray for something, and they say, well, if I do anything toward that, then how am I going to know if it was God or me? And and so they just sit back, and they don't do the things that God says are wise to do. And, you know, there are just certain things that are wise to do, and that wisdom comes from God. Right. And, and I've known many instances in my life where I prayed, about a situation and God in his wisdom gave me the wisdom to do the right thing mm -hmm. which came from him Absolutely. so I couldn't take credit for that right even though it was my hands that did it, it was it was his wisdom to cause me to do those the things that were wise to do right. Absolutely. so what we are saying then and what and what Jan is saying that we would all agree to faith is never simply passive real faith is always active James 2, the Carol is talking about, Hebrews 11, that talks about by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, all these people. If you look at what they did by faith, it was action. 
Now that doesn't mean it was action then, I gotta be doing, 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 doing. It was a partnership with God by faith. We are praying and depending upon God. So I think I think my whole point is with Augustine is I think he tied it together well. And that is we work and work and work, but we don't depend 100% on our work. We pray and pray and pray, and then we watch how God works it out. Um, otherwise, we might become, and again, I was trying to think through my, in my mind, it's been a long time ago since I've looked at Christian science, but it's kind of like a Christian science kind of person. And that is, well, they don't believe in medicine, so they just believe in faith or something. So that means, all right, if I'm going to do that, then I don't take you to the doctor, I don't give you medicine, I'm just going to pray. And then your kid gets sicker and sicker, and yeah, you're just going to pray and not do any medicine. Well, that doesn't make sense because God has given common grace which allows doctors and people to create medicines. He intends for that, but that is a means sometimes to God answering our prayers. Sometimes it isn't. Sometimes God has to supersede even the medicines that man's that man has created that doesn't do the work. Now let's go to two texts. Two texts in our book, page 11.2. As a matter of fact, very simple statement, so rather than even belaboring it, the answer to... What do we need to be doing to become a praying church? And the reason I put that up as the central issue is because that's what it seemed to say, but that's also what I was kind of asking for you to do in relation to homework. Shoot me an email and just say, hey, here's something that I would give us a suggestion because this is something I do want to talk about with Pastor Kent. Say, all right, looking at 2015, how can we be more of a praying church? And getting your input would be hugely helpful. All right? So first one is Colossians 4 verses 2 through 6, which really, really fits exactly with what Glenn just gave as an illustration. So I wanted to, I, I didn't want to lose the gist of that illustration because it segues right into this text. Look if you would at Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. At the end of this letter to the Colossian church, Paul says this, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may... Here's what he says. Open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in change. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Making, make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. All right? And if you happen to do the homework, great. If you didn't, the question is the second one down at the bottom of that page. According to these verses, verses 2 through 6, what part does prayer play in evangelism? And again, Glenn just illustrated hugely what these texts is talking about. But you pull out from these verses, what are some specifics that we see here that Paul is saying to this Colossian church that are critical in relation to prayer and evangelism? What do you see? Sierra? That we proclaim it clearly so that God gives us the words. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we here's what we think. We and, and again, you heard me say this back when we talked about evangelism. Uh, I have no problem with learning evangelistic plans or systems to at least give us a framework. I think that can be helpful. Uh, matter of fact, our next uh, discovery class, if you jumped into the next one, is going to be sharing our faith. All right? So it's going to be talking about that, looking at it from Scripture. But when it comes to giving the communication of the gospel, even Paul, Paul who is writing all these theological letters, who if anybody could say it well, Paul could say it, and yet he is still praying on these missionary journeys, God help me to make it clear. 
Because honestly, as brilliant as he was, as theologically trained as he was, there could be people that he's going to talk right over top of their head. Being a tent maker, uh, that might have kept him down in some of the hoi polloi so he could hang out with some of those guys and talk their, their level as well. I don't know. But here he's praying exactly what Sierra said, that God helped me to know how to say it clearly. Not to say it perfectly systematically, because that's where we get goofed up. I didn't do the Romans road right. Oh, man, I got that Romans verse out of order. Who cares? Because at the end of the day, it is the truth that changes lives, and I need God to help me clearly communicate. Perfect. What else? What else do we see there? Yes? Um, To be watchful and thankful so that God may open the door for my message. Okay. Keeping an eye out. What Glenn just said, and that is the open door, all right? I am praying... I am praying that God will give me opportunities to share my faith. But here's what he tied into it, and I'm glad you added those words in, Jenny. He ties into it being watchful and thankful. We can pray for opportunities, and then we go back to our prayer excuses. Remember, one of them was, I'm busy. If we pray for opportunities to share our faith, as Paul says, we must do. Pray for us that God will open doors. And, and, And again, I look at Paul and see what he did. I was on the mission field for only eight years. Paul, and this is just amazing, he planted all those churches on his first missionary journey probably in three years in vast spaces without modern transportation. So obviously God had to open many doors and allow them to communicate it. But he's still saying this long time into his, while he's in prison, because it's one of the prison epistles, while he's in prison, help us to make it clear, help us to have open doors for the word. But in doing so, two things he threw in there. Help us to be thankful and watchful. Why would he include those two things with it? One of them is pretty much a given. You pretty much get that one. But why thankful and watchful? Why does he tie that in with that? Because he says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Watchful because... Because, <clears throat> because if you're not watchful, you're not going to see. And I think there was talking about opportunities there, uh, making the most of opportunities. And the thing is, is if we're not watchful, if we don't have our spiritual eyes open, we're just not going to see the things uh, to to uh, as he did. To, we're not going to see the opportunities when they come up. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and, and they may be specific people that we pray for that God opens the door. But it may be if we're saying, God, help me to have opportunities to share the gospel. How many times have, and I can think of times in the past where I've later realized, wow, they just asked a great question. In the midst of hurrying up to do whatever I needed to do, I blew it. I really blew it. I let that go. That could have been a great question or a great comment that could have been a step into sharing the gospel. That's, I think, a part of what he's saying. If we're praying, Lord, help me to be a witness, help me to have opportunities then, being watchful. But the thankful part is, um, how are we a very good, I hate to put it this way, a very good billboard for Christianity if we're out there and we're complaining like the rest of the world? But if we're a praying people, 
we're usually not a complaining people because if our prayers are rightly aimed, they're focusing first on God. And with that in mind, then, we're, we're looking for opportunities because we want to tell people about God. That's what gives us a motivation to be alert because this is an opportunity to talk about God. Look what God has done. I am I'm an ambassador of Christ, which means this. I'm representing not just the President of the United States or the King of England or whatever. I'm representing the King of Kings, and I have his message, and it's the best message you're ever going to hear. And I get to tell you about it because this is what he's done for me. So we're praying for opportunities. So we pray that God provides us open doors. We pray that God assists us with clear communication. So evangelism isn't primarily a plan or a system. It is recognizing the simple opportunities. And that means, and I I start very practically coming back to where we live. For a moment, think about the people that are in your life right now. And I don't mean just simply family, but think about your neighbors, think about your coworkers, all right? Uh, I've often said we will never reach out to our neighbors. Let's put it this way. If I don't know the names of my neighbors, I am pretty certain I'm not going to be taking time to reach out to them with the gospel. Because if I don't even know their names, that probably means I'm not praying for them. And if I'm not praying for them, I'm probably not going to be alert to and watching for opportunities. So I start with that and say, hey, and I think I might have said this before, we, we look at it going, oh, crud, it's the middle of December, you know, time changes, and we feel like going to bed at 7 o'clock now because it got dark at 5 and so we don't talk to our neighbors, you know, and that's what happens. But, you know, if God does give you an opportunity and you get some of these nice warm days and you're out there talking to your neighbor, ask them their name. That's all it takes. Says, you know what, I've seen you over and over. I don't know your name. Um, I'd love to know your name. I see you and your kids or I see you out there doing this or that or whatever. Just start. You don't have to be like, hey, I need to pray for you. I'm a Christian, whatever. That can be fine. There's nothing There's nothing wrong with that. But if you start saying, I'm going to do this and this and this, you might scare them away and they're never going to, they're going to wait and watch if you come out. They're not going to come out of their house until you're out of the street, you know. So obviously, just simply like any good neighbor used to do back in the day, you just talk to people. And if you see them out there struggling to move something, you just book out there and help them pick it up or move it or whatever. But I'm saying that so that we start with where God has put us. We like to gather as a bunch of lights together and think, if we have a bunch of lights together, we can go blitz a neighborhood and share the gospel. Nothing inherently wrong with that. But God has sprinkled the light and the salt all over downriver area from Community Bible Church by design, by intention. So think of those workers, think of those neighbors, and say, God... Help me to pray for them by name. If I don't know their name, then shame on me. Help me to get out there and find their name. Now, I got obviously, you just moved into a neighborhood, so I don't expect, you know, come January, I'll give you a quiz, you know your neighbor's names, all right? But, yeah, it depends on how long we're there, but even still, take the time to get to know them and start praying for them. And then don't be surprised then if suddenly God gives you this opportunity. You've been praying. Help my neighbor next door, Ed Cuddy, all right? Help me get an opportunity to share the gospel. And when suddenly we run into each other, we start having a conversation, he mentions something about a struggle he's having, man, there is my trigger point, not with a gospel gun to go, all right, there's my trigger point point. say, hey, let me pray for you, or I'm praying for you, I've been praying for you, and can I pray for you right now? Like, what and, and when you know that you've been praying and asking God to direct your path and it works through you, Lord, you know what I'm going to say. You know what I know, you know what I'm going to say to this guy, you know how 
how can you put us two together? There's a reason for it. You know, not, not hell and this guy. It's me and this guy. God knows what you're going to say, and you've been praying about it. Lord, direct my path, open my ears, my eyes, work through me. Your glory, Lord. And, and, and when that trigger point goes, you know. You know it's God. And you just do what you're supposed You know, you just say what, you know, you're supposed to say. Do you need some help? Do you need some this or that? Or, I mean, just doors open wide, especially when you know you've been praying about it. That's the difference. When you just think that you stumbled across their path, uh, you know, but when you know you've been praying, open the door. Open the door, Lord. Use me. Work through me. Absolutely. Does. Can I give you a, probably a 10-minute illustration? Honestly, uh, I, 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 as you're saying that, I'm thinking, you know the story, Troy. You know part of the story. Um, 2000, September 1st, 2004. Uh, that Wednesday afternoon, um, some folks at our church, they were opening a Papa John's uh, over in Allen Park. And it was, their, it was their practice day. The next day, Thursday, was going to be their first day to open their Papa John's. And so they told the people at Inner City, hey, if you want a free pizza, y'all come and get a pizza. It's a practice day, blah, blah, blah. So, of course, a bazillion people show up, and you wait forever to get one free pizza. I'm going home with my older, my son and my oldest daughter in the car with me, and we're coming back down Allen Road. And um, we're coming down Allen Road. We get to White. We hear all these sirens, and we think, all right, well, you know, it's sirens, and and you, know, you expect they always come down White from the fire department if you're in Allen Park. And so they go flying past, and, and I hear my, my son goes, they must be going to a fire because they got all their coats on. I'm like, yeah, most of the time when they go, they got their coats on because whether it's a fire or not, they're gonna be dressed for whatever. And uh, so then another one goes by, and then we get down to our street. We go down Allen Road and get close to Arlington, and the street before it is Ann. And I realize, like, oh, our street is blocked. We can't get on. So something's going on over there, you know. So we go to the street before Ann and go down Ann and go around, and we can't get in at this end. They got both ends of our street blocked. Well, now we look down the street, and it's a beautiful September 1st day. And there's smoke coming out of a house down the street. So we start walking down with our free pizza, and we're getting closer, going, oh, that looks close to our house. And then we get closer, and it's our house. And my wife is there, and, and she was there with our youngest daughter. Beautiful day. Matter of fact, she was talking to a neighbor, two neighbors, two houses down, who's a believer from our church. And of all things, we had a fire. And, and we had the fire. We were out of our home nine months of the school year. It was the first week of school. I was working as the assistant administrator at the Christian school. Now, I'm going to give you a very abbreviated version of the story because... How God connected dots, and I still remember a specific prayer we prayed on the curb of our street the day we had the fire. All right, so keep in mind September 1st, 2004. So as we're things wrapping up, they've hosed the house, and you know they do the pickaxe. So if the fire didn't mess things up, the pickaxe and you know the eight inches of water in your basement from putting out the fire uh, added to it. And, and so we were at the curb, uh, all, all of us, my wife and I and our three kids, and we were sitting there and we prayed. And we just said, all right, God, we don't understand what happened, but we, our, our, young, our middle daughter, our oldest daughter, should say, said, well, maybe God has something for us through this, maybe an opportunity to share the gospel. So we prayed, and we were praying. And it's funny, because I remember, because a fireman came up, and they're like, are you guys okay? Because we're all down like this, and I was probably thinking somebody's dying, somebody needs air or whatever, like, I know we're praying. And, and so we prayed that. We moved over to an apartment in Dearborn. Uh, this is where our insurance company put us while they repaired the house, long story. We got into that apartment, and in that nice apartment complex, 
there was an area where they put people who had pets, and we had a dog. And so we were there. And so, again, we were continuing to pray. We don't understand why, but you put us here. As we pray, you go outside and take your dog, take care of business. We met a neighbor who was taking their dog to take care of business. And come to find out, their names are Kevin and Kristen. Um, They're living together. They had just moved to Michigan from San Antonio, Texas. Now, keep in mind, the day we had our fire was September 1st, 2004. Kevin had just finished in the military. He had been eight years in the military. He was going special ops and decided he had enough. He's ready to go back into civilian life. His last day in the Army was September 1st, 2004. God brought them to Dearborn in this apartment. God brought us to Dearborn in an apartment right across from each other. And two dogs, well, they had two big Great Danes. Their dogs could have eaten our dog for a dinner, you know, a snack, really. Okay, and, and the reason I say all that is we prayed, and I remember distinctly putting a note and, and a gospel track in their door because we had met them and talked a couple times. They started coming to church with us and came faithfully. And they'd come in a little bit late. We'd watch. I'd be up in choir, watch them go get them and bring them down. They'd sit with us, and they kept hearing the word. Now, keep in mind, they were living together. Uh, she was a very strong Catholic family. He came from a church-going family but was not a believer. And, and so... I'm going to have to fast forward the tape of the whole thing. Spent a lot of time with them, a lot of time with them, and, and just had a great relationship, just great opportunity. I'll never forget Kevin, uh, eventually in February of 2005, Kevin trusted Christ. And I remember we were walking. It was a cold winter night uh, there in our apartments in Dearborn. We were walking one night outside. It was after dark. And he was like, you know, I've been listening to the messages, and I didn't say anything about them living together, because I'm like, all right, I could start saying, all right, you're in the club, now here, if you're going to stay in the club, here's the 25 things you can't do anymore, all right? But are going to do that. But his words to me was, you know, I've been hearing these messages, and I'm feeling this, like, pressure, this guilt, like, I know I shouldn't be living this way. And I'm like, you're right, Kevin, and, and what, what can we do about it? And he made the decision to move out. Well, Kristen, that kind of rattled her cage because she's like, does he not love me now? He's got this whole religion thing more, and now he doesn't love me. And so he moved out. And is that when you guys moved in? He lived, moved in with Troy in his, his house. And uh, keep in mind, Kristen still hasn't trusted Christ. It's a strong Catholic family. And she ended up going down at one point in September of 2005 and visited her family in, in San Antonio. And their close family friend is the priest of the Catholic Church. Uh, they said, yeah, we've gone drinking with him before. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, mental picture there. Yeah, going out drinking with the priest. And so she had a strong relationship there. But after hearing the preaching of God's word in answer to prayer, sitting by a curb, she came back, and I'll never forget her words, something to the effect that after all these months of listening to preaching and hearing God's word, when I got down there and I was hearing what I saw, hearing what I was hearing and seeing what I saw, I knew that wasn't true. I knew that what I had been hearing was true. And at that point, she trusted Christ. Now, the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say, is the rest of the story, what was an amazing thing was that December, uh, Kevin asked her to marry him. Two weeks before we left for China, we flew down to San Antonio. I married them in San Antonio, and then they moved back to Michigan, lived in our house for the first two years we were in China, renting it from us while we were in China. So again, you know, when you pray for God to give you an opportunity, it, it could be a fire. 
it, it could be something very disastrous, or it could be just simply, I've been praying for this guy who's having his own disaster, and through that disaster, God allows you to show care for them in a way that will open a door that you wouldn't expect otherwise. I didn't know that God has promised. Because I remember in your classroom, Kevin and I were writing all over his chalkboard. We were talking some nights about scripture and theology, and I had this verse, Isaiah 46, 9 and 10, we talked about. And I said, you God has planned everything from beginning to end. And what he planned right smack here in the middle was September 1st, 2004, you decided to get out of the Army. You went from San Antonio to Michigan. September 1st, God brought a fire to our home, moved us to Dearborn so that he could answer prayer and put us together and see you guys trust Christ. Now, we didn't really have anything to do with them trusting Christ other than praying and seeking to build a relationship with them. But it's those things that, and I, and I, I just jumped completely out of the lesson tonight because you've read it, and, and I really want to get us motivated to pray. We can say this is what we need to do, and we need to have this principle or these three things, but at the end of the day, one of the most motivating things is what Glenn shared, and that is seeing God answer specific prayers, and we go, that was God that did that. And again, here's what we don't often, here's what is most encouraging when that happens, is when God answers that prayer, but in a way that I didn't expect. Because when it's a way that I don't expect, then quite often I am far more convinced that it was him answering the prayer. It wasn't me manipulating the circumstances so it looked like he answered prayer. Because honestly, God doesn't need my help. I don't need to manipulate anything. Just ask Abraham and Sarah. When you try to help God out, that always goes bad. Right? Because um, right now to this day, we have Arabs and we have Jews who all throughout the history and you make mistakes and all these kind of things happen and it's because we try to help God out. He doesn't need our help. But he does delight in our prayers. And I'm sorry that we jumped and I, you just made me think of that. I'm sorry I jumped to that illustration. I, I realized I could just rattle through all this and I hope you'll read it. But more than anything, our prayers admittedly are either distracted prayers or they are about ourselves prayers, or they are um, grocery list prayers. God, I need this and this and this and this and this. There's nothing wrong. I mean, I think what Bev said was exactly right. We need something to keep our focus, but the danger can be on all of these things that we want to change can be that becomes a habit rather than a means to an end. The end is not simply answered prayer. The end is a closer relationship with God. And I'll leave you with this thought in the last 30 seconds. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. We, I may have said this before in this class. If I did, please forgive me for repeating it. But what that seems to sound like, and sometimes we first look at it, maybe if we're not looking at it right, we think, all right, God, I do the, here's the deal you're saying then, I do the delighting in you, and you give me the stuff I want. All right? Now, Obviously, we're like, oh, no, we would never say that. But, you know, we've done that, all right? We've thought that way sometimes, perhaps, in a subtle way. But what David is saying, because if you notice in that psalm, this is a psalm he wrote later in his life. If you look at the later part of that psalm, he said, I have been young, and now I'm old, and I've not seen the righteous forsaken or seed begging bread. So this is David late in life saying this. This is not a new thing in young life. If I am delighting in God, if my focus is God, 
what does happen is he changes my desires. As he changes my desires, he also changes my prayers. And my prayers start to be more according to his will. And when that happens, we start to go, wow, look what God is doing. Look at how he's answering prayer. Are we on a hot streak? No, that's not the point. What we are is we're starting to have the mind of God. We're starting to think like God because we're delighting in Him. And in delighting in Him, that leads us to pray the way He would want us to pray. And then He says, you can have the desires of your heart. What you didn't notice from here to here is, in delighting and getting the desires of your heart, God, through that process, is slowly changing our desires. So that at the end of the day, in changing those desires, we come away going, doesn't matter if I have this or this or this. What does matter is I got an opportunity to talk to this guy and wow, look what God did. Or I got an opportunity because I'm in this hospital to talk with this nurse and now this nurse is coming to church. Or I got an opportunity with my neighbor who came home from the hospital and all I did was simply help them get in the door from the hospital and now I've got an open door with them to share the gospel. It could be all those things or something totally unexpected. But at the end of the day, when you and I see prayer that way, it is first a relationship with God, and secondly, because of that relationship, how can I then, in prayer, God, make you known, just like Jesus in John 17 said, I came to do your work, and now they know that you and I are one, and we want to be one as well. So he wanted to make the Father known, and we are here to do the same. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the journey we've had through these last 11 weeks, looking at your word, looking at discovering our role in the church, and seeing that to be placed into the body of Christ is not just a, a random thing. It is certainly an amazing, well-planned, and well-chosen, loving choice by an amazing God for us. We don't understand why you would even put us in your family except one word grace. And so tonight, Father, as we thank you for that grace, we pray that that grace would motivate us to display your glory through prayer, through our walk with you, that we would not just be simply people who feel guilty about not praying, but if, if, if that's where we are tonight, Father, help us to go home and just simply say, Father, we have failed. Uh, we've let other distractions, other things become more important. And then we start with a simple prayer like the publican. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. We may think that that's only for an unbelieving person, but that's us every day. We are still sinners, we still need your mercy, and we thank you that you bestow it abundantly. So, Father, help us to be a praying people, a praying church, and help us to, as has been often said, move forward as a church on our knees. For your glory we pray in Christ's name.